0: Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free. A token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head-on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next episode of the podcast series. I'm super excited to share today's episode because we're going to explore some really fascinating topics with the amazing Marsha K. Marsha isn't just any guest, She's a powerhouse in the field of personal development and mental health. Her insights into how our nervous system shapes our experiences, especially under pressure, are nothing short of eye-opening. So whether you're a high flyer striving for the top or someone looking for that perfect balance in life, this episode is for you. Let's jump right in and get started with Marsha Kay. We began by discussing Amanda Sobey, a world-class squash player known for her incredible mental toughness. Marsha's insights here are a goldmine, giving us a peek into what makes high achievers like Amanda Tick. Did you know that your nervous system plays a huge role in your personal growth and how you handle vulnerability? Marsha broke it down for us and trust me, it's a game changer. We also talked about how to manage your nervous system in those nail-biting high-pressure moments. It's all about understanding and working with your body, not against it. Really cool stuff. Dynamic acceptance. Ever heard of it? It's all about embracing the now while still moving forward. Marsha's take on this was so insightful, especially for those of us who are always striving for more. We all have ways our body tries to protect us, like shutting down in stressful times. Marsha sheds some light on why this happens and how understanding it can actually empower us. Marsha and I go into the nitty-gritty of practices like breathwork and journaling and how they can help keep our nervous system in check. Striking that balance between pushing yourself to the limits and taking care of your well-being? We shared some wisdom on how to navigate this, especially for high achievers. We wrapped up with a deep dive into the mind-body connection, exploring how it can push us beyond what we think is possible. Marsha's personal stories here are just inspiring. We've covered everything from the inner workings of the nervous system to finding that sweet spot between pushing hard and self-care. This episode is packed with insights and laughter, and it's one you won't want to miss. So on that note, please sit back and enjoy the wisdom of Marsha K. Marsha K, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Really delighted to have you here. We've got a pretty cool little story to kick off with, but we'll maybe get to that in the moment. Um, But first things first, how are you doing? It sounds like Christmas shopping vibe is not quite there yet, but you're going to activate that pretty soon by the sounds of it.
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah, spot on. I'm doing great, but the the anxiety's creeping in very slowly, but very intensely. And so it's it's a good start to the month, but I definitely got to get on that
0: before yeah. it takes over. Yeah, cool. Well, good luck with that. And hey, listen, I know we're going to talk about nervous system and anxiety rising, so this is a perfect little segue into. it. But before we really get into the middle, what we're going to talk about, um, we were introduced by you know someone I've been working with for a while. You recently worked with her. Um, she's had an incredible backstory, incredible, but as the time of recording, so this might date a little bit, but um, she went from an ultimate high, Amanda Sobe, we were talking about being the world number one in the semifinal of a platinum event, like playing really well, and then less than 12 hours later, five on the first game, her Achilles goes, second time it's happened. But we might talk a little bit about that. But um, Amanda Sobe, um, you know, what's your thoughts, connections? She's been very um, open that she's very happy for us to talk about this. But yeah, what's your journey been like with, uh, with a world-class squash star like she is?
1: Honestly, it's been so incredible working with her and it truly shows when you work with someone at that level in their career, you just you'd see the differences. Right. And she truly has such an incredible champion mindset. And you and I were kind of chatting about this already. And I think even in what just happened, the low that she went through, how she handled it just shows that mindset, like what a true champion is, is not necessarily winning all the time. It's how you handle the low points and how you go from the highs to the lows, how you manage those physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so honestly, it's been so inspiring to work with her. She's truly someone who's just so committed in in everything that they do, right? Like, obviously, mm. I see that with her and her career, but then even in our work, that same level Of commitment and dedication and so that's been just really cool for me on a personal level to work with her and it's also been really interesting to work with someone who's an athlete at that level and to see how their nervous system functions and to Mm. also see how their different protective mechanisms right how they learn to keep themselves safe how in many ways those shape them to be the kind of the per like the high achiever that they are and then it also mm-hmm. in many ways you see how that limits them and that mm-hmm. really becomes the work of like okay getting to the next level is really working those protective mechanisms and those nervous systems responses and it's just been such an honor to work with her someone who's just so committed and dedicated she's like i know this we need to work on this so it's nice. been really, really cool
0: yeah and obviously you know coming from um, her sporting background where it's been very intentional deliberate from you know before she was probably 10, like everything had a purpose and a reason. So I can imagine the work you do with her in the six months you've had with her, I can imagine that she, the buy-in and the purposefulness of what she did was really high. And I, I'm, look, we're not going to go too much behind the curtain, but what, um, what evolution have you seen in, in like the six months or so you've been working? So you, you kind of, you got her as that raw piece of clay, I suppose, and she reached out to you. Um, yeah. Where have you seen her journey develop and grow? We talk champion-minded, but was there anything else that you've noticed in the six months?
1: Yeah, I, that's such a great question. And I think it's, again, the really cool thing with working with someone on that level is I don't know, they do come to you already at such a high level, right? Like there is already such a foundation of commitment and dedication and intentionality and all these beautiful things. And what's been really cool for me to see is like, what does it look like to go to the next level when you're at a ready at such a high level. And I, right. get, I think the transformation her and I have been working on quite a bit is learning to regulate her nervous system through to move through the ups and downs that that career comes with. That's like the cost, right? That's the price you pay to start to move through those ups and downs with a little bit more intention and a little bit more ease, which is really the nervous system and really using those ups and downs as opportunities for personal growth. And that's been really, really wonderful to see. And as we did that, and as it tends to happen with the kind of work that I do, there's also this transformation of stepping into authenticity and stepping into more vulnerability and really understanding that for a lot of high achievers at that level, that's really what the next level might be. And so it's been really cool to see those things coming together, like really her taking her mindset to the next level, her nervous system to the next level and then bringing in this element of authenticity and vulnerability and how that really plays into it.
0: Mm, I know the vulnerability piece was is is a continual work in progress and I think there's been some really interesting layers unpacked but Um, thank you for sharing that. And again, that this comes with blessing from Amanda. So it's not like she'll be surprised or anyone's going, why are you talking about it? What's going on? Um, but listen, you've said nervous system quite a lot. Let's, um, let's, let's rewind. Let's go back a couple of steps because I only really started to get into this and and go down my nerdy rabbit holes when um, Amanda brought it to me. So listen, I'm, I'm a kindergarten age person, mindset wise, nervous system. How would you give the elevator pitch for nervous system and, and basically what you try to do with it?
1: Yeah, I love, I love that take on it. So the way I think about it is your nervous system is really your alarm system, right? And it's your, your body's way of kind of understanding where are the threats and helping you appropriately respond to the threats, right? And so we have these different states of our nervous system. We have a state of safety, and then we have states of dysregulation. And there's actually two different states of dysregulation that we often go into. And they're just protective mechanisms, right? Your nervous system is doing the math and it's like, okay, for you to survive, we could either do this or this. So this is always happening, right, in the background. And I think that's the first piece we want to understand, like how much your survival instinct plays into your life, into your actions, into your decisions, and even into how you perceive reality. So this is all happening without your control. Your nervous system is doing the math of like, we're safe. Okay, that's fine. Or we're in danger and survival instinct takes over, and the part of your brain responsible for executive functioning, intentional decision-making, long-term planning, all the mindset stuff we really like, that goes off the table, right? And now you just start responding based on ways that worked for you in the past. And so my kind of pitch when it comes to the nervous system is how often we think we're in control, we're making decisions, we're doing everything we can, we're reading the books, the mindset stuff, right? But our nervous system Is actually the one making decisions because that Mm. part of your brain starts to go off when stress is very high and your nervous system says, he can't handle it. We need to take over. And it takes over in the ways that worked way back when. And it completely distorts how you see reality, it distorts how you connect with people, your decision making, all of that is significantly impacted when you're dysregulated. And most people are not even aware that this is happening. And so, how much control do we really have? And when it comes to high achievers who really prioritize efficiency and optimization, you know, they're like looking for like, where can I get 1% better? I think this is such a huge part of it, right? Because it's like, there's a huge component. You think
0: you're in control, but actually you're not. So so when you said, you know, we fall back to, you didn't say this exactly, but like to our habits. Um let me just kind of try and get this right. Is it your habits of like your recent past or is it going back all the way to the in inverted commas, caveman kind of ancient brain type stuff? So what, what does anything come to mind when I ask that question? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. I would actually say it's like, yes, caveman, right? So like there are certain things that are pretty much programmed into us, right? Like if you were on the wild and there was a tiger, you are programmed to run, you are programmed to fight, you are programmed to get to safety. And so there's certain things that all of us find triggering, right? You know, we all find isolation triggering. We all find uncertainty triggering, things like the loud noises, right? Like that's that kind of like programming. Mm-hmm. But also, there's a component of it, like these habits that we have of, of how we react in stressful situations, is kind of what we're talking about, right? like the mm-hmm. patterns and behaviors that come up when we are put in high stress situations, those often go back to childhood right. when we initially develop them. Right. So they often connect to what happened to us in childhood and how did we keep ourselves safe in childhood? And the thing that worked, our nervous system assumed, hey, if that happened before, it's going to keep happening. So let's keep doing it. Right. Like the analogy of the tiger, it's like if one time there was a tiger that jumped out and you heard something in the bushes and then you ran, you got to safety, you survived. Your nervous system, every time you hear something in the bushes, is going to think it's a tiger and you're going to run. And even if you're in the middle of a city where there's absolutely no shot of it being a tiger, your survival instinct will take over and you'll go running, even if it's 20 years later, because your nervous system assumed if one time a tiger jumped out at five, Hmm. the danger of a tiger jumping out is there. Again, when we were cavemen, that was true, right? Like Mm -hmm. your childhood and your adult life, pretty similar. Whereas in the modern world, like what happened in your childhood, it's significantly different than what's actually happening in your day-to-day life now. Mm. and so in many ways, our nervous system is, is primitive. It just cares about safety and survival. Hmm. Whereas like we, you know, high achievers, people who are interested in growth and kind of nerds about it, we're interested about in growth and our yeah. nervous system didn't care less about.
0: <laughs> this push and pull, isn't it? It's kind of like, and we'll maybe get into the word that came to mind and, and feel free to kind of shoot me down, but like overriding the nervous system, we know in a sporting competitive environment, it ain't life or death. It's more maybe about status and where we get seen in our tribe and all of these external distractions. And that's where maybe I come in a bit more and going, hey, it's outside that court space. Those are external distractions. So is overriding our nervous system a thing? Is it a thing we can train? Can we train that muscle, if if so to speak, of that part of the brain?
1: Yeah. And, you know, overriding is an interesting word, right? Like, I think that that's true. We want to override it, especially in situations like when, you know, in sports, when we're on the court and there isn't actual danger there, but your nervous system is activated as if there is, we kind of need to override it. The word I often use is regulated, right? Almost just to help your nervous system kind of bridge the gap. It thinks that there is danger, but in reality, there is no danger. And so you kind of want to regulate it. whoa! whoa, whoa. we are actually safe. And then your nervous system could kind of go into that state where you are in control. Your prefrontal cortex is on. Your executive functioning is available. You could think, you could plan, you could reason. So it is really overriding, I think, mm-hmm. especially in those really intense situations. But really what we're doing is kind of learning to work with the nervous system to help the nervous system realize that we are actually safe. And then once that happens, we're back in control.
0: Mm. Yeah, I actually really like that. And, uh, regulating, it's that slightly more gentle approach. It's not like kind of binary. It's not like I've got to go from here to there. And, and a little analogy I use in, in psychology, sports psychology, a lot of turn the negative to the positive, always look for the positive. And I actually think there's, there's a step in between. I actually don't necessarily want people to go from negative to positive. I want them to go from negative to an action. I think that action piece yeah. or there's, there's something you can be proactive about that you don't have to automatically flip from negative to positive and you can still do your action. Even if you're still feeling negative, at least you can perform your action. Jumping from negative to positive and if you don't get there, then there's a whole disruption. Anyway, this is this is the thing I try to do. And I'm not sure if that regulate or re- resonates no, with you. No,
1: you know, it's so interesting how you said that. I I could not agree more. And like, I think it, there's a lot of overlap in how I teach it as well. Because so one thing like I kind of talk about, and maybe it's just a little controversial, but with when you connect it to the nervous system, I promise it makes sense. Is like a lot of people talk about changing your mindset. And I'm not really big on that verbiage because I don't really believe you could change your mindset when you're dysregulated. Your mindset is a reflection of the fact that your body doesn't feel safe. So if I'm running from that tiger, I'm not going to have a positive outlook on life. I'm going to have a very negative outlook on life as I should, because if I was like, oh, look at that butterfly, I'd be eaten. (laughs) I'd be dead. It (laughs) wouldn't work, right? So like my negative mindset is not the problem. It's just the A sign of mind dysregulation, and so instead of trying to change my mindset, what I talk about a lot is how do we change your state? And the way we change your state is by taking action. And there's different actions that we take depending on which state our nervous system is in. But exactly the same way, it's like that's how we go from feeling negative and feeling down to having all those negative thoughts. We take action to help our nervous systems regulate, and then we just naturally notice that our mindset becomes more positive whether that's because we could have this experience of believing in ourselves and kind of feeling our power and our strength and our resilience mm-hmm. or because our nervous system is more regulated and something suddenly everything looks a little bit clear a little less hazy than when we're in that kind of shutdown state yeah, so no. it's so interesting to hear we kind of say the same thing yeah. in, in-
0: slightly different ways. Uh, slightly different languages for different setting. And I think that's, you know, we can go down a whole rabbit hole of the power of words and language. And I really try to be careful with that. And that's why, like when you said regulate rather than override, I think it's quite powerful. And yeah, just, just building on that a bit Um, in sport, you know, you make those horrendous mistakes, you've lost your lead, whatever it may be. Yeah. You can't go from negative to positive. Like there ain't no, there's not many positives there, but at least you can have a rational action or at least try to be as rational in that moment. And whether it's that, that phrase you've had or decided before the match, that uh, the way of thinking or the way like, you know, this comes from like months and months of training to get this right. But just a question for you. I'm not sure if you would come across this. Um, I discovered about a year or so ago, um, REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. It's one branch of cognitive behavior therapy, but it's it's really interesting because it is grounded in in that word, rational, rational emotive behavior therapy. And what these teachers do and and how they propose it is, they are they they they're always challenging. They're always going. No, is that is that really true, or is that an exaggeration of the truth? And when you're speaking to athletes, or maybe a lot of people you work with, they they're saying untruths to themselves. It's untruths. They are and 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 what the job of REBT is is let's bring it back onto a bit of a rational playing field, like from a coach, but then 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 it goes into your own coaching. Uh, any thoughts on that? Again, super interesting. If you're not checked out REBT, it's really cool.
1: I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, I don't have a pen in front of me, but please <laughs> yeah, message that to me afterwards. Points, I yeah, want to yeah. look into that. Mm. Wow, so many thoughts. I I love that. You know, I love what you're saying about being very careful with words. I'm, I'm that way too. Yeah. I think words really matter. And when words have a bit more compassion and curiosity, I feel like it's so much more effective. And especially for high achievers and athletes who I think are already so hard on themselves, that's part of the trauma response, or I would call it a protective mechanism, right? So like that wording to me is everything. And I love what you're saying of like like questioning it, really questioning your assumptions and your narratives. And that's really kind of how I approach my work and the nervous system work. And even if you don't know much about the nervous system where you're not like a pro at using all the tools because, you know, now I think it's very popular, like all the tools and the hacks. And and I love all the tools and the hacks. I think they're really powerful and I'm happy to talk about them. But what I think is equally as powerful and really doesn't require knowing too many tools or practicing too many tools is using the nervous system as a way to start to get curious about your thoughts and your narratives and your responses and not just take them for face value of like, Oh, I'm thinking it. That must be true. Right. When we understand the states, we're kind of saying, hey, there are these two states that we go into, not because it's best, not because you even chose it, but because your nervous system is trying to protect you. And it does this without your decision making. And when it Mm -hmm. does this, it completely changes your perception of the world. I always kind of say it's like you have a different lens on the world once you're dysregulated. When you're in that dorsal, which is like a state of just shut down, kind of depression, nothing's ever going to work out. There's this very gray lens, right? Suddenly it's like nothing will ever work out. I'm a loser. There's a lot of shame, right? When you are in that more sympathetic fight or flight state, the lens is it's me versus you. Everyone's against me. I'm not good enough. They're not good enough, right? It's this very intense kind of lens and narrative. When we just become aware that these exist, that there's different states, that the states come with different stories and narratives for your protection so you can get away from that tiger. I think that opens us up to curiosity of like, mm. wait a second, if I'm dysregulated right now and I can kind of start to feel that in my body, maybe my story isn't true. And so it's funny, like I don't, I've never heard of that, but I think in many ways that's what I do of like, I'll just have them say, okay, can you locate where you are in, in terms of nervous system state? And they'll say, yeah, you know, I'm a little bit in that fight or flight or I'm a little bit in that shut down state. And then I'm like, okay, remember that, that, Distorts your narrative, and once they kind of realize that, now they're observing their narrative Mm -hmm. versus in the narrative, which then allows them, with that mindfulness approach, to be like, "Wait, maybe this isn't one hundred percent true. Maybe this is just how I'm perceiving it in that state." It like Mm -hmm. just like opens the door up a tiny bit to that Mm -hmm. person to consider, "Like, wait, I might not Mm -hmm. be right." And as soon as they recognize that, even just that kind of helps them regulate because they're observing it versus like fully in it.
0: Love that. Yeah, that's that's power. Like what you said there, I really enjoy that. And a couple of things that popped in my mind as you were speaking there. One word, for some reason, we've caught each other at a good timing. I, I've been using this really a lot in the last month or so. Um, The word notice, I, I really liken that word. So when athletes are on this high stakes, high pressure, they on the edge of winning a big match or they too loved down or they're just tanking it and going wrong. But you know what? One of the best actions you can do right now is notice. You said curiosity and awareness. I love that. Are they interchangeable. For some reason, I've just attached the word notice, and it, and then I actually attach a second word to it. I talk a lot about notice and trust. Notice and trust. This is like in the middle of kind of performance. I'm not saying this is like when you're outside, but yeah. if there's like a noticing of going, okay, my I'm completely distracted now. I'm I I my nervous system. That might not be part of the word, but then I get back to the trust in my training, the trust in what I've done to get me to this point. So yeah, I love that curiosity, mm-hmm. awareness, notice. It all it all weaves in quite nicely, doesn't it?
1: It really does. And I, I love the word trust. I'm a, it makes so much sense to me because you kind of work with your clients long-term and then like, this is the moment, right? And you're really there with them in those moments. And it's like, I think a lot of the work that I do is similar in the fact that we're trying to build that trust,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Like
1: we're trying to get to the point where instead of feeling like their body's letting them down or they let themselves down, that they could trust themselves and trust their nervous system. And yeah, in many ways, trust the work they've been doing and the new habits they've been building. So I love that like pairing, notice mm. and trust. I think that in many ways, those are the two most powerful components, that mindfulness and that like self-trust coming back mm. to yourself.
0: Mm. And it just leads me on to another, okay. We're using words, great. Yeah. Words are coming into my mind. Um dynamic acceptance. I, I i a big proponent of acceptance. I love this idea of acceptance, but but I also quite am a fan of this dynamic acceptance, which means that, that gets you to your action phase. So you might not like the situation you're in, you you might, but but if you can accept it, if you can go, okay, and and for me, I think it's quite important to clear up. Acceptance is not, it's not passive. It's not like, oh, I resign myself to like the bad luck and the victim mentality that might kick in. But I go, okay, I accept where it's at. I might not like where I'm at, but I can I can be dynamic about my next thing I can do. So does acceptance or acceptance, there's, I know there's acceptance therapy, they talk a lot about um, acceptance commitment therapy, ACT, which is quite interesting. But yeah, when I say dynamic acceptance, what uh, what pops in there for the nervous system and anything come to your mind there?
1: Yeah, I love that. I might steal that word dynamic that's acceptance. Yeah, that, okay. I, I, didn't, really I didn't come cool. up with
0: it, but and I stole it from another incredible source. Okay, I appreciate problems, that. So
1: that's that's a really it's- good way of Thank saying you. it because- well, you know this even better than I do, but I think I tend to work with high achievers and they really struggle with this idea of acceptance because to them it starts to feel like quitting. Yeah. Right. And that becomes really such a huge part of the work of like, no, no, we need the acceptance. That's going to be the foundation on which we build on top of. We're accepting what it is here, which opens us up to like what other possibility. So I just love that term dynamic acceptance. I'm totally stealing that. <laughs> but what comes to mind in terms of the nervous system is a huge part of the work that I do in the beginning with my clients. And I actually find, again, this isn't the hacks and the tips and the breath work yet, even though I love all that stuff. It's the more, it's kind of like the prerequisite. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I call it befriending. I call it befriending the nervous system. And what befriending the nervous system really is, it, it's an acceptance, mm-hmm. right? It's it's curiosity and compassion and acceptance. I would I would think it's like those three words together. And I find that to be the foundation of actually using all these amazing tools and getting in control of your nervous system and building a resilient nervous system. I think it has to start with acceptance. And I find like an interesting entryway for that for high achievers who in the beginning, if you start talking about acceptance, again, you probably know this much yeah. better than I do, they really resist that. Yeah.
0: They're like, no, no, no,
1: you don't understand. And mm-hmm. there's like, there's a lot of resistance there. And so instead it's kind of kind of like, okay, that's fine. We don't need to accept these things or that's fine but what if we just got curious about your nervous system and started to accept your different nervous system states That mm. sometimes like for example for high achievers, it's really hard to accept that sometimes they go into a shut state they're used to being super sympathetic fight or flight mm-hmm. and so when they get shut down there's a lot of shame about that mm. there's like i need is to get denial?
0: out is there a denial to it sometimes mm.
1: There's a denial, exactly. And then when they realize it, there's just like a shame of like a panic of like, oh my God, I do go here. I never thought I did. I don't consider myself that kind of person. How do I get out? There's like a panic of being in it and never wanting to get back there. And I actually find that if we're afraid of any of the states, it creates more resistance, does. right? Because we're trying to run from it and then we fall into it. And it's just like this downward spiral. And so I try to work on just acceptance. So like, what if we even looked at that shut down, which might look like procrastination or just a little bit of like a fawn response or having no energy of not being motivated. What if we practice accepting that as maybe this is a protective mechanism? Maybe your body is protecting you from something. Maybe that's based on the past, maybe it's based on the amount of stress. But what if we didn't see this as like a broken feature, but we saw it actually as a protective mechanism? That doesn't mean you don't want to work on developing other strategies, but can we just see it as protective? And I find that that becomes helpful to just like having some acceptance for like, oh, this isn't a broken part of me. And I find that to be really powerful. And we're kind of doing that for all the states. And once we have a little bit of acceptance and we don't are not afraid of any of the states, we're kind of like, OK, I see how this one serves and protects me. I see how this one. They, of course, also see how they might hold them back. Hmm. Right. But they could also see how they protect them. I find that acceptance then opens us up to then doing the work of like, okay, how do we rewire this? Hmm. How do we make your nervous system work for you instead of feeling like sometimes it sabotages you, which is not sabotage. It's actually protection. But like, I get it. It can feel like sabotage in the moment.
0: Hmm. That's really well put. And just on that thread, when these high achievers are a bit resistant to that acceptance and you come at it from different angles and try to present different cases, do you ever present the science to a deeper level? I found sometimes when I present the science of what's actually happening in the neural pathways and how we can rewire ourselves and the cortisol in our system, I sometimes find that gets through the kind of the barrier to entry. <laughs> do you do that sometimes?
1: Yes. It's so funny you bring this up because I think what I maybe do a little differently uh, in general, but definitely differently than I think what a lot of maybe therapists do. And I think sometimes the difference in coaching, right, is I'm very big on like, I want to teach it to you. Let me teach you the science. Let me, like, I want to make you the expert in it. And people who really like control really appreciate that. They're like, oh, it's not just like some, you know, mindset stuff. It's like, no, no, there, there's more to it. And so I find that really, really helps to teach them. And that's usually where I start. I'm like, okay, let's look at your nervous system. Let's understand the different states. Let's understand how this is programmed and why and how it's connected and I find that really helps my high achiever clients. And to be honest, that was my story of like, I wasn't into any of it. Once I started learning the science, being a little bit of a nerd, I'm like, oh, now I can get behind this. Now I know why it makes sense. And I find that gave me a sense of control and a sense of safety. And so in a, in a funny way, I think sometimes learning about the concepts and understanding the science makes our nervous systems feel safer to actually step into the unknown of trying something different which is scary, yeah.
0: yeah. That's wicked. I love it. I stumbled across that, and again, very going back a little bit Like I was introduced to mindfulness as an athlete and meditation, and like, but no one ever backed it up with the science, and I never really resonated. And then I read a book after I'd retired, where I, it was called East East Meets West, and they took the Eastern philosophies of obviously Zen Buddhism and and all these amazing stories. These guys have known for thousands of years, and they they. They put it through scientific rigor. They put it through the Western philosophies of like scientific testing. And it's a really incredible. It must be like 15 years old now, but it really opened my eyes to going, wow, the stuff that we get told is incredible. The West has taken it and kind of done some scientific tests. So yeah, East, East meets West or East versus West, something like that. But yeah, that was that was really interesting. Um, and just moving on very slightly, you've mentioned this a couple of times. Um you talked about your nervous system working for you. What what does that mean? How like there might be some tools we, we'll need to talk about with that. But yeah, what uh, what comes to mind? Nervous system working for you?
1: Yeah. So I find that most people who kind of start working with me once I educate them on what the nervous system is, they they start kind of becoming aware of like, oh, my nervous system is holding me back. Mm-hmm. All the things like the next level things I want to do when I try getting there, the nervous system pulls me back into old coping mechanisms, old behaviors, intense anxiety, fear, shutdown, procrastination, all these things. And so it's like it's sabotaging me. Right. And so when I kind of started how I started phrasing it is like, okay, right now it feels like your nervous system is working against you. You're not aware of it. You're trying to fight it. But once we become aware of it and befriend it, It kind of becomes our ally and we could start working with it. Meaning when we find ourselves getting dysregulated, we have a toolkit. Okay, what do we do to bring safety to ourselves so we can go into a state that would actually help us move forward with more ease Mm -hmm. instead of like trying to like fight against this like invisible force that's trying to pull us back because your nervous system in that moment is saying this is too dangerous, get out. And you're like, no, because you're, you know, high achiever, you're an athlete. You're like, I can't just give up. I'm going to keep pushing, but you're like pushing against this invisible force. So I find when we start understanding our nervous system and using tools to regulate, we start to feel like our nervous system, instead of like this force that we're pushing against, is kind of like the force behind us pushing us forward.
0: Right. We do a
1: lot more with a lot more ease.
0: Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like a big, huge, and we've already discussed this, but just to reinforce the point, the entry point seems like the awareness piece, doesn't it? It's like, wow, like this is how, and it, like, as soon as you get that, like that, that, the angels start singing, the light bulb moment goes off. You're like, wow, this is actually what's happening inside. This is all that deregulation. And yeah, so I, I really like that. And um, linking a tool, uh, there's a few tools I've written down that I use with my athletes. I'd be interested to know kind of how they work with your athletes as well. Uh, can we start with breathwork? You know, how how breathwork, I'm assuming it's a very huge part of this. I'm yeah, super, we can nerd out about this. There's probably a whole podcast on breathwork, but um, yeah. Breathwork for athletes, high performers. Where where do we start with this?
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of breathwork. Funny enough, my personal journey started in getting uh, trained in different types of breathwork just for myself, for my own journey. And then I kind of learned about the nervous system. I was like, wait, these two hmm. things actually go hand in hand. So something I always say with the nervous system, and maybe this is obvious, but like To me, that awareness and the knowledge, just like sometimes something clicks when I hear it. Mm -hmm. And I think about breath work as the lever into the autonomic nervous system, meaning it's the only part of the autonomic nervous system that is both conscious and unconscious. You're not thinking about breathing. You can do it. You're doing it all the time, but you could consciously control it. And when we can consciously control it, we could actually change our nervous system state. And so it's literally like a lever that Mm -hmm. we that we can use. And so you know, I I think of like two different types of breath work. I think of the breathing practices that I think are a little bit uh, more mainstream now, which I love. I feel like this literally just happened in the last few years in terms of just, you know, like box breathing and just things that help us regulate the nervous system, even just becoming aware of our breath, right? When we're very activated, it kind of helps us come to a more regulated state. So box mm-hmm. breathing is is a great example. I feel like it's talked about so often. We hear, you know, Navy SEALs use it, right? And it's so powerful and it's so easy and anyone can do it anywhere. You can do it in a meeting if you needed to. You could do it on the court, right? So there's those types of practices that I love that are great in the moment where you got to kind of bring yourself to a more regulated state. Mm -hmm. And then there's breathwork practices that instead of calming you, they actually activate your nervous system. So they take you into that sympathetic state, the fight or flight, which sounds really counterproductive, right? It's like, well, that's the thing we don't want to do. But that's actually where we build our nervous system's capacity. And I always compare it to going to the gym, right? Like, what does going to the gym look like? It looks like lifting weights gradually heavier and heavier and then resting. And the lifting heavy and stepping out of your comfort zone is what actually builds the muscle, right? Like that's what you have to do. You kind of have to step into that discomfort. You don't just sit home and then just suddenly become stronger from resting, right? And so I think of these activating breathwork practices as as exactly that. as like going to the gym for your nervous system. So you do these practices that bring a lot of sensation, brings a lot of emotion to the surface. It's activating your nervous system and then you consciously and intentionally bring yourself back down which is teaching your nervous system that we can go to those highs and lows and we could handle it and so those are also really powerful and i feel like for athletes especially that's a really great tool to be doing whether that's weekly or monthly to build that resilience to expand the nervous system's capacity for stress basically
0: I love how you put them in those two different buckets. Uh, what, like, what are some of the names of those heightened? And it was Wim Hof. Obviously, I think he was very he popularized it. Are there some names you could just throw around just, just so people so want to go look at it? Interestingly,
1: Wim Hof is the one that I often mm. give because it's mainstream. You could get his app. Like his app is really great for doing that. There are some kind of um, easier ones that aren't as intense. Like, For example, there's a breath of fire, right? And they're just forceful exhales through the nose. Um, You inhale and you forcefully exhale through the nose. And so that's not as intense, but like that, the practice you could do every day. The one, for example, that one of the ones I was initially trained by um, doesn't have a name. It's there's a teacher who kind of trains in this named David Elliott. And so it's very similar to Wim Hof, maybe a little bit more intense, I would say.
0: Wow. Because okay. I tried to boy off and boy, it, it, like, for a few days, I was getting crazy headaches and I, so I had to come away from it a little bit. I, it didn't quite align with me. I don't know if it was the state I was in or whatever. But anyway, so if it's more intense. Did you it do it alone?
1: Uh, can I ask, did you do it alone or, yes. or did you do it in a group? Alone. Hmm. See, I would say like with those more intense breathwork practices, I would say it's really good to have to either do it in a group or have a guide because they are intense and I will say like the one that I'm trained in like I mentioned, I initially got trained in this um, just for myself. It was actually more through a spiritual lens, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And that kind of was presented more like moving trauma and processing emotions. And a lot comes up. It, I know. And I would tell my friends, my friends, like, yeah, let, I want to try it. And I was like, hey, I got to warn you. A yes, lot I of emotions it. are going to come up. They're like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's a meditation. And then one of my best friends, he comes out of it and he's like, whoa. You know, he's like, I didn't think I'd be like crying. Like, what is happening here? Right. And I was like, right. That's what I was trying to warn you about. I know you're just breathing. But in that state, it actually brings trauma and emotions that are stored in your body. And we know this about trauma and emotion. It brings them to the surface and they start moving. And so I find when people do these sometimes alone and especially when they tend to be people who are a little bit more on the intense side. So like, yeah, I'm going to push into it. I'm going to go as hard as I can there's always so much coming up and there's no container to hold it and they can't hold it for themselves, right? Like we, you know, even those of us who are in the space really need others to hold space for us. Like I still do breath work with teachers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I find that to like, I don't know if that was great clean. advice. No, um, no,
0: it's great advice. And yeah, thank you for saying that. Cause yeah, I, I, it, a little side note, I'm going on my own journey of breath work training, I'm Patrick McHugh and oxygen advantage stuff. So Again, his stuff. I, I'm not sure yeah. that, what you think of his stuff, but again, he's quite a, obviously a leader in this territory. And yeah, I've, I've gone. I'm going down that rabbit hole, so uh, a little bit behind Lisa. you. But uh, I just I think it's so fascinating. Anyway, and just to keep with the breath work a little bit, you 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 might have seen that inverted view of optimal performance. It's like it's kind of really old now, where there's pressure on the bottom and there's performance on the other axis.
1: Oh, I love the stress curve. I sh- yes. I, sh- I use it all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and because we need a certain amount of pressure to raise our performance. That's why I really like what you're saying about if we're in. If, if the athlete is too zen and too like super, like I'm loving the flow state here, but I don't have a cutting edge, boy, you need to bang, you need to kind of rise, raise up somehow. So, but again, it's that awareness of where you are in the curve, like how much do you need? How much do you need to come down? Um, and yeah, you're saying some cool stuff around getting that optimal part of the curve, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I love the stress curve. It's so funny you bring this up. I use it all the time to explain this exactly of like we... We need a healthy amount of stress and we kind of need to push out of our comfort zone. And this type of breath work could be a great way of doing that. And also it's like when it's, I also find breathwork interesting in the sense that I think of it as like a gym for our nervous systems, or like a playground for our nervous system, like a little microcosm of the macrocosm. Maybe it's a better way of putting it. Right. Because it's like, OK, when you're on the court as an athlete and the stress is really intense that's hard. It, in that moment, that's the hardest moment where it's going to be to regulate. And so we can do a lot of like calming practices before him, but they're not really preparing us for that moment. And so we almost need to simulate that moment in a way, right? And practice doesn't do that, right? Like at practice, you understand that pressure isn't really there. And so I find that this type of
0: breath work it's similar to cold plunges, by the way. I'm a big fan of cold plunges. I don't know how you feel about them. Oh, I'm right there. Every morning, Five twenty, my alarm goes off. I, I don't have the oh, cold that? Do
1: you have one at your house? No, how do got, you do I'm, this? No,
0: I'm cold showering. I, I just don't have the space oh, okay. to get the cold plunge. But it's like whenever I get an opportunity to get in cold water, I see like the ocean. I'm like, I'm going to get into that bad boy. So I'm so there with you. And, and discipline training. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. But yourself, yeah. what, where are you at with your cold plunge journey?
1: Oh, so, the, you know, the cold showers are actually really hard for me, but I really love like the intense cold plunges. We have an awesome place like 30 minutes away. So I try to go like once a week right now, but my dream is to get a cold plunge at my house. That is, I was just telling my husband, I'm like, that is the dream, a cold plunge.
0: Yeah, it incredible. is. incredible you know, Because you see like, like there's a lot of these kind of, um, just like the blow up ones now, the pop up and, and I actually saw on um, the other day, they're advertising because the problem sometimes with those is you put the cold water in and the water kind of the temperature gets up, but they actually got like these plug in almost like, it's almost like a portable fridge. Now you plug it in and it regulates the coldness of the water. So you don't need to go buy bags of ice anymore. And they're quite expensive, but that it feels like the the kind of the technology is really improving quickly on this.
1: No, it's so true. I feel like we're getting to the point where it's going to be more accessible to like have it at home. I still find that it's really hard to find a place that has it. Like Mm -hmm. the only place near me is like, 20 minutes away. And That's my mom is looking for yeah. one near her. She couldn't find one. So it's it's kind of wild. But I'm a big fan. But, you know, it's the same reason with the nervous system, with the breath work. It's kind of like what that forces us to do is we put our nervous system into an intense stress and then we consciously bring it back. down. Mm-hmm. We kind of like find ways to control ourselves within that to kind of lean into that discomfort and move through it. And I think cold plunges really do that. And I think breath work could be a way to do that. That's a little bit more dynamic, right? The cold plunges—you're in, you got to breathe, or that's you're out. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, <laughs>
0: percent. There's really
1: no in between there. Whereas with breath work, it's dynamic, so you can kind mm-hmm. of control how far you step into that stretch zone. Mm-hmm. You can control: can I lean into that, or am I resisting it and pushing it away? how do I pull back when it starts getting too much? Can I pull back a little bit and like build that self-trust with myself of like, okay, I was getting a little scary. I could pull back, then I could step into it. So in that way, I find those intense activating breathwork practices, just like a microcosm to really practice, to really prepare for the high intensity situations that otherwise we can't really simulate.
0: Mm, we can't, yeah. That's really good. Because that that's a classic question that keeps coming up to me and, and I've learned like so much already, but that what you just said, so many of the athletes go, yeah. Like, no matter what restrictions we put ourselves on training, if we have consequences for mucking up, yeah, it's still not the same juices that are that are you know the same chemicals are not washing around in the body because you know there's a safety net. Whereas it's that exposure that like almost like micro dosing to that exposure of of that hard stuff that you know are you holding on to your CO2? Are you doing all of that stuff? I think that's yeah, powerful. So thank you for saying. I really and hopefully anyone listening is really yeah, cogs are turning out there. <laughs> so. Yeah. Just um, shifting gears a little bit uh, because I'm, I'm kind of nosy and it's my personal thing. I am a massive fan of journaling. I, it's probably one of the biggest things. Um, again, I'm fully transparent, but when I, when I went through my divorce and everything, journaling was like the cornerstone key habit that morning, evening, getting the thoughts out of the mind onto paper. Uh, so journaling as a tool for nervous system regulation, what, what are the links here?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I I'm actually just on a personal note, I'm I'm so with you about journaling. For me, journaling was one of the kind of like the ways into this work. Journaling was one of the first tools where I'm like, okay, I think I'd be willing to try it. This makes sense to me. And then you start doing it and you start feeling a difference. And you're like, I didn't expect that to happen. Right. And so for me, it was kind of like that gateway drug into this world. Oh in terms of nervous system regulation, interesting because I think. As much as I love journaling, I think we would need to kind of just gently adjust it depending on which state that we're in and how we use journaling. So I say this about a lot of different tools. Um, This is not just journaling. So I kind of mentioned before, we have these like three different states, right? We have a state of safety. Then we have the state of kind of fight or flight, or we call it sympathetic. And then we have a state of shutdown immobilization. We call it dorsal, right? Those are the three states of our nervous system are constantly moving up and down, Even on a good day, we are always moving up and down these states, kind of like in a ladder. And so what I find to be true and why I really love teaching people the nervous system, especially people who who have a lot of tools, like they've done a lot of work on themselves. They've tried things. They've accumulated tools. I find this could kind of be the missing link in that you start to understand why sometimes you'll use a tool and it works amazingly. And sometimes you try it and you're like, why am I not getting anything? I, I did exactly what I did the other day, but it doesn't feel like not helping or maybe it made me feel worse. And so I believe this is where the nervous system plays in, because when we're really shut down, we start disconnecting from ourselves. And so we need to use tools that bring us back into the body, a kind of a gentle return to energy, right? Where, when a, whereas when we're in sympathetic, that fight or flight, we need things that give us healthy release of energy. We got too much energy. We got to get it out of our nervous systems. Versus when we're feeling safe, that's really where executive functioning is working and we could do a lot of really cool mindset work and really kind of reframe and rewire things. And so I find that adjusting our journaling practices, depending on where we are, could be really powerful. So I believe journaling could be powerful everywhere, but I think making small adjustments to it and using it as a tool is really helpful. So for example, if you're in sympathetic and like a lot of energy, maybe you're angry, maybe you're really frustrated, journaling could be a great way to kind of just like get it all out. Like let yeah, yourself yeah. kind of like scream at the paper, say all the things you have nowhere to say, just think and it out, like purge it, hmm. right? Like get it out of your head and onto paper versus when you're in dorsal and you're feeling really shut down, that might not be when I'd say, hey, go deep into your feelings. It might be an opportunity to get curious, but what am I feeling? Where am I feeling in the body? And kind of having that back and forth conversation to kind of bring a little bit more awareness to what's actually happening here. Mm-hmm. When it's usually in that state, you're kind of getting disconnected. And so I'm a huge fan of journaling and I think it could be a really powerful regulating tool. We just want to be intentional with how we use it and make these little micro adjustments.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is
1: that something powerful. you found with
0: your journaling? Like this? Um, no, I've got not, and again, this is great because I'm, like I said, I'm just learning yet. I've probably much used my journaling almost as like as a, a discipline training for myself. So it literally, yeah. it's, it's like, right, morning, I've got two different types of journals. I, I, I read stoicism every day. I love the stoic way of thinking. Oh, stoicism. Oh, yeah, like exactly. old Ryan Holiday, Daily Stoic, kind of introduced me to that. I love, love his work.
1: I got like three of them
0: right here. Yeah, again, really good. And I like because he, he doesn't make it like it's a low barrier to entry. It's really easy. It's almost like the pop stoicism, but then you can go down the deep rabbit holes, which I also love. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I do stoic journey and then uh, like a bit of gratitude, then just personal stuff, then always kind of end with like um, something I need to avoid. Anyway, it's my process I've developed, but it's actually more of a discipline training for me. It's like, like you know, whatever state I'm in, I'm turning up, I'm delivering on it. I know it's like my my kind of almost. It's my, you know, Tim Ferriss, win the morning, win the day type idea. It's, there's a journaling, there's a meditation, there's a bit of breath work. And so, yeah, that's how my personal one. And then I, I use at the end of the day to balance my life's books, to kind of go, right, like, like let's look back what I've done, my intentions, right? Let's shut the journal. That shuts my mind, optimize my sleep. I'm not going too deep down the rabbit hole, but that's my thing. But I love what you say about actually the noticing of different times to do it and and, and then coming back to you is that how you use your journaling do you use journaling when you're more aware of where your nervous system is at
1: yeah that's so interesting my journey was it has been kind of shifted over time and like I love what you're saying like the discipline of it and to me like it comes back to that word we've been saying a lot of like the awareness and I think for me now as I think back to my journey before I knew anything about the nervous system and I was like very early in this world and just like a difficult point in my life and I was struggling I think what journaling did was bring a lot of awareness. It brought way more curiosity. I would observe my thoughts and start to question them and ask and think about them and start to think, what do I want? What's working? What's not working? And that awareness wasn't there. There was a lot of ruminating. There was a lot of going in circles, but there wasn't a, let's get it out of paper and really look at it and question my thoughts and what I'm thinking and where I want to go. And so for me, that was huge. And um, it started out as that. And also, like a, like you said, like a discipline practice. Like, I just mm-hmm. got to start keeping one promise to myself. Like, I'm, I'm a big believer in building self-trust by keeping promises to yourself. I find that also kind of builds that trust that we need in order to regulate our nervous systems. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where it kind of started for me during a tough time in my life and changing careers and questioning everything. And then I think it's really evolved. And now the way I use my journaling is a little bit more fluid, I would say Mm. but again if I'm honest it changes depending on the season so like if I'm in a really intense season of my life I kind of come back to that more disciplined approach like I got to do this every day I got to be checking in on my intentions I got to be clearing my head out like I got to be I really have to be optimizing myself and this is one way of doing that and then there's other seasons of my life where there's a little bit more processing there are a little bit slower like a little bit more like a winter metaphorically in in terms of the seasons Mm. right and so like in those times, I'll use it a little bit more fluidly and I'll use other tools to regulate. And then I'll kind of be like, OK, where's my nervous system at? What am I needing? And what do I need to do in my journaling practice to support that? Do I just need to purge some emotions? Do I need to kind of witness my thoughts? Do I need to just kind of get into my body and just like observe what's happening? And so I use it a little more bit more fluidly. Now,
0: Okay. That makes sense. yeah, very cool. And And again, I love that it's not a Again, when I probably introduce people to journaling, I'm probably, again, I've learned now, I was like, yeah, this really works for me. So you got to go do it. I'm like, whoa, oh, and like, you know, like I've come back a few, like a few years into it now. I'm like, yeah, you know what? It needs to fit the situation, the scenario. And yeah, you put it across really beautifully. So thanks. And I think this is a nice little segue into the next bit, which is, you know, this balance between that high performance and self-care, you know, mental health. We're super aware of it. We're talking about it, which is fantastic. Um, So yeah, any advice that you would give to athletes or high performers, balancing that pursuit of excellence, like, yes, I'm always on that hedonic treadmill of success and I get the, the, you know, the greatest promotion and the best salary, but there's always something more. And then that balance of going, okay, well, where does, where do we need to take care of ourselves? So yeah, your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's such a big topic, right? And it's something I think about quite a bit because it it comes up with almost every single client and like a couple of things come to mind. One is, I think one of, you know, you spoke about sometimes teaching people the science kind of helps things click a little bit. And I find teaching people about the nervous system and explaining that once you kind of get what the nervous system is, in many ways, it's the link between well-being and performance, right? Our nervous system is what allows us to perform at really high levels or holds us back from performing at really high levels. And at the same time, our nervous system is very much responsible for our well-being. So when we're dysregulated, all the systems in our body start working at max fifty percent. Our digestion, our productive organs, or all of it starts functioning really poorly. So if we stay in that state for too long, our bodies start to crash. And that sometimes is physical. A lot of times it's mental and emotional, right? And so when we understand the nervous system is the link, I think it kind of helps us get this idea of like, wait, they're not mutually exclusive. They're actually one and the same. That well-being and the nervous system specifically is kind of like the foundation for sustained high performance. Mm -hmm. So that's one point I kind of try to get across. And the other, and I think the other is a little bit tougher that I think you're speaking to, is a lot of times people who are high achievers It's because they have these protective mechanisms that were developed at a very young age that allow them to just like keep pushing through pain, keep going, always outperforming, always competing. And I'm not saying these are bad or good. I'm just saying they're protective mechanisms. We could probably look back in their life and see where that developed. Right. And we have many different types of protective mechanisms. Some are seen as really negative in our culture because negatively impact people and others are seen as really positive and glorified. And I. I see a lot that for high achievers, they have overachieving tendencies, right? Like pushing through pain tendencies that they developed that made them very, very successful. And so, because it's made them successful, it's like their nervous system's like, well, this worked. We got to do more of it. We like got to do more of it. Do more of what works, right? Like, just keep going, not realizing that it works to a certain point. And at that point, if you keep trying to use that strategy that got you this far, It's kind of like that stress curve, like you're going downwards, you're doing more, but actually your performance is dropping. Right. And so I find it's really important for people to kind of really start understanding where is the strategy that got me really far that we're not saying is bad by any means. Where is it really not serving me in the same way? Mm. Right. That like obsessive pursuit, that pushing through pain, where is it now potentially hurting me? Because now I'm ignoring my body. Now I'm not thinking about, you know, what fulfills me, what's true to me, how to be authentic. And so really understanding that and at that point, really thinking, okay, how do I develop the ability to kind of regulate so that I could go to that next level? Because that like obsessive push through pain, it's, like, it's, it's awesome and it's incredible in athletes, but we also need to recognize that it's a protective mechanism. And if it's not controlled and if we're not aware of it, it could take us in a really dangerous direction, actually hinder our performance long term.
0: And I bet I bet that's a pretty hard sell to high performers. It's like, well, come on, like, you know, I I can't like like what like what a waste it would be to go walk in nature or to go on a meditation retreat or to whatever those healthy habits that we know are good. Um so yeah, how do you again maybe the science is there, but but how do you sell it to them?
1: You know, you're absolutely right. It is, it is a high, it is a hard sell, but I will say, when people come to me, they're often in a place where they're frustrated. Okay. They're kind of like something isn't working. I'm doing everything right. I'm achieving more than ever. Why am I not happier? Why am I not more fulfilled? Why do I keep getting sick? Why do I keep getting hurt? Like, I don't get it. And that's the point where if we kind of sit in that frustration, like, wait, what if the strategies that got you this far are the very reason that you're feeling so stuck? What are, is there the very things that are now holding you back, right? Like, and for, you know, with my clients, it's a lot of the times, you know, there's either patterns that they don't love about themselves. uh, They either push their bodies too hard into burnout or they're lacking fulfillment. They're like, I don't get it. I have everything. Why am I not happier? I should be so much happier, right? And so that's where it becomes a little bit of an easier sell of like, hey, what you're doing, it works really well, but now it's not working. Now there's diminishing returns.
0: So you just turn the mirror back on them in a way going, ah, by the way, boom, there it is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: And it's like, okay, what if we start making these very small, gradual changes? We're not trying to change who you are. And I think that's a really important part of it. It's like, I don't want to take this really ambitious, beautiful part of you that made you successful and make it something else. Mm -hmm. I love that part. I just also want to help you develop other parts of yourself and kind of connect to other parts, right? Maybe feeling more grounded, more fulfilled, what's authentic to you. And as we start doing that little by little, they're like, whoa, there's more to me. And there's things that actually make me feel really good and really grounded. And now their nervous system is actually learning to tolerate those things. And what I mean by that is a lot of times overachievers, high performers, they actually don't have a tolerance for joy, for being calm, for feeling peace. It's like it feels uncomfortable, like the shoe's going to drop. I can't be in this. And that's where they go to like, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to you know, and like, I'm sure you've seen it. And so we're also kind of explaining to them, it's like, hey, I know you want more fulfillment and more joy and more success. What if you don't have the capacity to actually feel those? And what if we actually have to build a capacity to feel those in a similar way that you build muscle right at the gym in order to lift really heavy or to excel in your sport? So I find that there's also that kind of approach of like, this is work too. It's a different kind of work. It is. And I often say this to clients and my higher achieving clients feel like this gets under their skin a little in a good way. And I always say to them of like, look, what you're doing now is hard, but for you, it's easy. Mm. The walk in the park for you, ignoring your body, pushing through, not sleeping. Like, let's not like, let's be honest here. That's a walk in the park for you. What's really hard for you is to slow down. It's to be present. It's to be vulnerable. It's to feel your emotions. And I'm like, you like hard work, right? Like this, this is it now, you know? Wow. And I think sometimes that almost is like, well, I do hard things <laughs> when I think yeah, that gets yeah, under yeah. their skin in a good way.
0: Wow. You geez, you're slightly blowing my mind here because you're talking a lot at kind of what I do. I, again, full transparency. Yeah, I do hide behind the, the high achieving constantly on the go. Hey, look at this next thing I've done. Look at the next thing I've produced. And it's like, and, and again, I'm trying to, hackers is, is, is obviously a word we use, but you know, I, I try at certain times, my phone goes off on Friday night and only turns on on Monday morning. I try have a full detox. I know that's a bit of an extreme, but then it's making sure, you know, kind of, right, just slow down. You don't need to see that bright, shiny thing and react to it straight away. It's and, and again, that's part of my own personal discipline training going, right. Yeah. I need to train that muscle. It's it's a muscle. So you've said it really, really well. So no, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Uh, yeah.
1: And I, by it's, the way, like, I just resonate with that so much too, of like, I learned this the hard way as well. That's kind of my journey going from like this overachiever, perfectionist, nothing is ever enough to really slowing myself down. And it's funny because like I had one phase when I really slowed myself down. I quit corporate. I went into this world. But then I I still see that part of myself. Like when my business starts picking up, I could see that part of like the ambitious part of me of like, you know, tunnel vision, all I could think about. I'm working more and I really have to pull myself back. Like I really have to build. That muscle. And in times of stress, it's much harder and I have to do way more work. And I'd be lying if I said the work is done. I, I find it's like a continuous process for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And because uh, Amanda did share the podcast, I think really early or one of your podcasts and I really resonated. So I remember listening to it two or three times and I really listened to podcasts more than once. So again, kudos to you for making it past my second and third filter, but it, there was so much depth in there. Again, referring to your business and, and that, yeah, like almost jumping back on that treadmill. Again, really, really kind of powerful stuff. So uh, Masha, have you got time for another couple of questions to kind of go into it? Like, Yeah,
1: I got, I got nothing just, after this. Oh, I love sharing more. with you.
0: So yeah, two more I want to kind of dig into. The first one comes in regard to the idea of, of being focused during crucial moments as as an athlete, obviously the people I work with, you know, this this ability to focus, to be ideally mentally present. You're working with high achievers, maybe, I know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously maybe high achievers in finance or whatever it may be, you might not have to like focus as much in like at a critical moment. But yeah, like how can we help or understand the nervous system when it comes to staying focused at those real crucial moments?
1: Yeah, it kind of like brings together so much of of what we've been talking about. And you're right. You know, it's like with a lot of people I work with, I think focus is what they need. But I think their jobs and lives don't require it as much. So it's easy to pretend we don't. Like I think all of us right now, like myself included, I could see how, you know, because of you know our phones and social media and all these things, my focus has deteriorated. It's something I need to actively work on, right? And I think a lot of us just don't realize how much we need that. Um, but you're right, in, in certain areas, like for athletes, that's so much more crucial. And what I mean by it kind of brings everything together, I find that what helps us focus is that starts with awareness. So becoming aware of, okay, where am I on the nervous system ladder right now? What's happening to my nervous system? Am I focused? Am I, do I like almost too much energy where I'm going in a million directions? Do I feel just like shut down and completely lacking motivation to like I'm just nowhere? Mm-hmm. So it starts with that awareness of where am I? And then thinking about, okay, how do I get to a more regulated state? What can I do to move myself up that ladder? Because it's in that regulated state that we could really find that that focus, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, when we talk about regulated, I think a lot of people think of calm. And that's not exactly it. The state of regulation, we call it ventral vagal, is actually a state of connection. It's where we feel connected to ourselves. We have the ability to connect with others, right? It's that state of presence, really. And I think that has a lot to do with focus, that state of presence, And so once we understand when, where we are in that nervous system ladder, it's a matter of thinking, okay, how do I move up towards that? So if I'm really shut down all the way in dorsal, it's thinking about what can I do to bring a little more energy, Mm -hmm. right? So those more activating breathing practices could be really helpful, kind of, you know, feeling sensations in your body, anything that gives you a gentle return to energy versus if you're feeling like you have too much energy in your body to be focused. It's thinking about how do I get some of this energy out? Hmm. And this might sound silly, but one of the best ways to get energy out is walk, run, jump, literally just shake your body because there's too much. And that sometimes could be what makes focus so difficult. You know, when you had too much coffee, it's like you're yeah. not focusing. You're all over the place. Jittery. There's too mm-hmm. much energy. And so that kind of is what comes up for me is really understanding, okay, having awareness of where am I and what do I need to get into that? Do I have too little energy or do I have too much energy? And what can I do to kind of help balance that? And then of course, you know, something like a box breath, which again, I know is so simple, but I think is really powerful when it comes to focus. If you're like, I don't really know what to do. Like the box breath is such a great thing to go to, Mm -hmm. to just even feel a little bit more regulated and then have a little more access to, okay, what else might I need to get into the cell?
0: Very cool. Thank you. I like like really, really cool tips. And uh, last question I have for you, quite a, a bit of a not a curveball here, but um, I was I was giving a lesson to someone. I I had to rush. that oh, listen, I've got this great podcast. I'm speaking to my show She's doing some incredible work, and she said, "You know what, Jesse, I want to ask you something because they heard on my one of my previous podcasts. This obviously the mind body connection, and and the question she had, and again, I'm curious about this." Because I was speaking about, like, does like in in athletics, very often they found that that the body can go way further than the mind is letting the body go. So it's like, does the body speak to the mind, or is the mind speaking to the body? They did this with marathon runners when they hit the wall that they found that ultimately the mind was telling the body, "You got to stop because you're not going to survive." Because we need to, you know, hunt the impala tomorrow because we still the ancient brain was kicking in. And it was like, well, was the body telling the mind or the mind telling the body? I've probably asked that question terribly. I don't know if there's any sense you can make out of that, but you might not even know the answer. But I just thought it was a cool, well, curious question to bring up.
1: No, yeah, well, that's a really interesting question. And maybe we could pull it apart. I think they understand what you're saying. So, like something that I'm really big on talking about, and you kind of said it, is when, when I teach about the nervous system, you know, I always talk about how. Most of us think the mind controls the body. And in many ways, it does. Sometimes we have these thoughts, like, you can't do it. You need to quit. Stop. Hmm. Right? But what research shows is that, you know, it's 80% of the nerve endings originate in the body and communicate to the brain. And only 20% are in the brain communicating with the body. So a lot of the things... So that kind of first... Does doesn't answer your question yet? Yeah, that's I mean, awesome. first yeah. explained a lot of, like, what my clients will kind of say. It's like, why... I promised myself I'd never do this again. Why did I do it again? Why did I raise my voice? Why did I, you know, why did I do that thing that I promised I'd never do or pick up my phone? Right. And I kind of say, well, hey, it's your nervous system. Most of the messages are coming from your body, your brain, is they don't do it. And then your your body kind of laughs. like, <laughs> No, we're going to do Watch what me. we need to do to feel safe, to feel calm, to feel regulated. And if, you know, that's grabbing your phone, if you don't have another tool, that's what we're going to do. Right. Like, that's the only kind of option mm. you gave us. But I think it's interesting what you're saying. Like, if you're running and your brain is sending the message of, like, you got to stop, is that originating in your body, then creating that message? And then because it is, it's this continuous loop of the body sends a message to the brain. The brain creates like a narrative out of like what the body is sending, and then it sends that back to the body. And so I think it's kind of it's interesting to think about trying to think about it out loud. Hmm. You know. I would wonder in that moment it's like most people are just aware of their thoughts mm-hmm. and they're like okay I'm thinking this and it must be true or you know maybe you've kind of worked on this and you're like no it's not true I just need to tune it out right so we're just aware of the thoughts but I'd be curious about what's actually happening in the body for that person in that moment because a lot of times it's like the body's feeling something and it's picking up on something real mm-hmm. right and it's sending the message to the brain of like hey something's kind of up I'm not mm-hmm. sure And then the brain creates a narrative to create cohesion. Mm -hmm. So it sends a body. The brain doesn't really know how to send a message. The brain doesn't really know how to interpret this message. So it creates like the most cohesive narrative. And if go-to narrative is, well, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. That might be the go-to story, but that might not be the exact message the body was sending. The body might be sending like, hey, you need to change your posture a little. Mm -hmm. Or this feels a little uncomfortable. Or what's going on with their ankle? Right but if we're not in tune with what's happening in the body, it's just kind of like,
0: yeah yeah
1: pre-programmed message of like, I knew I couldn't do this
0: mm. yeah that that makes it a lot of sense, and again, I love that we are just brainstorming that's that's what that was, and you know, I think what i'm I'm hearing is like obviously the 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 marathon okay, these people are on a marathon, there's an end point, but at that point, the body doesn't know there's an end point maybe, and it's like, wow, like like we're just we've been told to keep just churning at this pace that is unsustainable because we need to be able to be good enough tomorrow to go get our food or hunt our food and for me that and it's like but then that's why maybe looping all the way back to overriding where it's going okay then do you need to over like at that point the the rational brain goes well i'm stopping in three miles i I can i can actually tell myself to shut the hell up because you know you're screaming at me to stop and my brains make up that story which i like you said in that kind of narrative of stuff but then there's like right maybe that doesn't need a regulation it maybe needs the harsher override again think
1: Yeah, well, no, I think you're like spot on to even like overriding and back to like the beginning of our conversation of regulating, right? It's like our nervous system is sending some kind of message that we can't fully understand, but like, hey, there's danger. And now that's actually really logical because I've never run a marathon. But I know it's very hard on your body, right? Like, I think that's like a commonly known and understood thing that there's a reason why sometimes people drop dead at the end, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's really hard on your body. Now, I think there's a lot of value in like overriding your body and that mental resilience. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying it is hard on your body. So when your body is sending that cue of like, hey, this is really hard, you know, something's a little off, we're struggling. I think most of us want to just like ignore them, be like, well, that's dumb. It's like, well, it's not dumb. Your body is just saying, hey, I'm feeling unsafe. I'm feeling threatened. Maybe it's because I'm thinking about my reserves for tomorrow. Maybe it's because there's something kind of going on internally that you're not quite understanding. Right. But the nervous system is basically picking up on threat and sending that message. And if we are someone who wants to kind of like build that mental resilience of just like override the body and keep going, I think the question becomes like, how do we bring a little bit of safety to our body in that moment? Kind of like when we're in the cold plunge and, you know, you get in there and you can't breathe. Because your nervous system goes on overdrive. It's like, what? Do, I don't know about you, but I use my breath. So I'm mm, really big whoops. on breathing in order to calm myself in that. And then that sends the message to my body that even though I'm in 30 degree water, I'm okay. Yeah. And it works and it works it every time. And it blows my mind every time, to be honest. That like, mm. if you keep doing it after a few minutes, there's times where I could be there for like 10 minutes and it's uh. wild. Like, I just don't feel it anymore. Right, and so you could override it, and I think we're talking about a very similar thing.
0: Yeah, with it the sounds example of a marathon, of like, mm-hmm.
1: can I use my breath? Can I make adjustments? Um, you know, what are these little shifts that I can do to bring a little bit of safety to my nervous system, which is sending me cues like, "Hey, we feel like we're in danger." And instead of disregarding it, it's like, "Okay, I hear the danger signs. Hey, let me make some adjustments to let you know that I'm actually safe and that I'm in control."
0: Mm-hmm. Very cool, very very cool. I love that. Uh, cool debate, uh, and yeah, just we made something of it, and that was the point you of the last question. <laughs> nice. Listen, Masha, you've been an absolute superstar. I've learned so much. I'm sure people listening have really resonated. There's probably like another ten questions I want to ask you. So maybe there's a part. I know. Two I can keep, keep going for hours with you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but listen, where can people find you? I, you know, you're doing some incredible work. Again, really honored to have met you and had this conversation. Can you signpost people to where they can uh, check you out?
1: Yes, they, they could check me out on probably the best place is my Instagram. I am Masha K, K-A-Y, Masha, M-A-S-H-A. Um, I also have a website, MashaK.com. And and on there, they could find kind of my options. I have a group coaching program, kind of like a hybrid of one-on-one kind of talking about exactly what we've been talking about, recalibrating your mind and your body and kind of learning the formula for that. And the next round is is launching really soon. So they could check that out there.
0: Fantastic. Well, this has been really good. And they'll all be in the show notes. I'll be sending links to that and stuff. But Masha, listen, have a fantastic rest of your day. This has been an absolute treat. And I you know, can't wait to stay in touch and see where it goes in the future.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This, this was so much fun. I truly enjoyed this.